Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you, guys. It's so fun to see you under the tent or under the trees. Here we are. This is so exciting. And I mean, I, I see the spirit of revival in all the sweaters that are happening. Do you feel it? I mean, you know God is near when everyone is wearing a sweater but not sweating. <laughs> I've, I've been prophetically wearing this one for like a month. <laughs> and today it has arrived. So welcome fall. We could not be more excited that you are here. <laughs> So you guys, a little bit of family business right out the gate. Our very own Abigail Holt Jennings released a book this week. Has anybody seen that? Abigail, wave. This is a budding new author in our mix. You, you can actually type her name into Amazon. I did this the other day and just stared at it and thought, I know her. If you type in... Abigail Holt Jennings, up will pop the conversation in heaven. It is incredible. And then you just hit click to put it in your cart. So everybody, today, go click on that button and you can say, I know her. It is an incredible book. It's going to change the world for sure. It's already changed my world. Well, good. Let's open our Bibles because it's autumn and there's not a better time to open your Bible than in autumn, right? We're going to be in Mark 4 first, verse 35. And I just can't get away um, just, just from the beckoning of the Holy Spirit just to make sure we're keeping our eye single. Uh, I, I just keep feeling this realigning the last several weeks in my heart that, ah, oh, Jesus, just let me live with undistracted devotion. Let me live without mixture in my gaze. Let my eye be single. And, you know, when we were out at PCB a few weeks ago, I was sitting out on the back deck and I was just preparing to preach a message and this dragonfly just came and sat on my Bible <laughs> as I was reading and it just felt like a holy moment. And I thought, do you have a message for me? You know, because like, I'm listening, I'm ready, you know, like I thought for sure it was just going to open its mouth and start talking. Just heaven blew in and, you know, I just started looking, looking at the dragonfly a little bit and almost its entire head is an eye. And the dragonfly sees in a way that human beings could never see. It sees dimensions that humans will never see. Isn't that bizarre to think about? That there's things right now out on planet Earth that a dragonfly is seeing that we have never seen and don't even have the capacity to see. And, you know, it just, it was just reminding me of this most important call of the gospel, that we would be a people that keep our eye single. That, you know, when your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Your whole body. And sometimes we bump in to places of darkness in our own soul. Anybody ever bumped in? Like, whoa, I just dropped in a pit, what happened? <laughs> And, you know, sometimes we want to make it so complicated figuring out why is it dark? How did it get dark? How long am I going to be here? And we start digging in the wrong direction. And so much is taken care of when we lift our gaze. And it feels too simple sometimes. It feels like surely this is more complicated than turning my eyes onto Jesus. But when your eye is good, when your vision is single, when you are seeking first the kingdom, when you're seeking first the heart of the kingdom, which is the king, your whole body will be full of light. 
And you know, it is a gauge in my life when I feel like I'm not doing well, I know I just need to pause and realign my heart onto Jesus. I need to realign my gaze onto Jesus. And you know, in the lowest places of our life, the subject doesn't change. Turn your eyes onto Jesus. Let your affection be fixed on Jesus. And in the highest places of our life, when, there are, when there's a storm of dancing and cheering and celebration because the manifested presence of God is so real and so rich and so thick, the call of the gospel does not change. Fix your eyes onto Jesus. You know, David said, this one thing I ask of the Lord, this is the one thing I'm pouring my whole life out into seeking, that I might behold his beauty, that I might gaze upon him in the temple all the days of my life. And this is the fight of our life to maintain this compass all the days of our walk with Jesus, that I will be the one in a company of people who will be the one to, to keep the main thing the main thing, that we will never outgrow in our spiritual development the need for a compass that's set on him. And so, you know, I just wanna visit two stories this morning, one that addresses a low place, and one that addresses a high place. So we're gonna go low first. You ready? So Mark 4, 35. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And you know, I love this phrase and leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat just as he was. And sometimes when we're in the crowd, our experience of Jesus feels a little different than we take him when we take him with him after the crowd is gone. You know, like, are you the same guy? You know, <laughs> but they took him. These were the friends of God. These were the friends of Jesus who saw him with the with the crowd, and and they saw him in the stern of the ship and what he looked like there. And he wasn't taking a nap in the crowd, but he was taking a nap when they took him just as he was. And you know, sometimes it's offensive to take Jesus just as he is. But when we leave the crowd today and we cross the bridge over the woods onto grandmother's house, there we go. The call of our lives is to take him just as he is. And we don't get to decide how Jesus is gonna come. We don't decide how Jesus is going to show up. Nothing about who you are, nothing about your circumstance, nothing about your thought life defines the real Jesus. He is God and he shows up as God in every circumstance, in every situation. And we do best when our eyes are wide open to receive the real Jesus. And you know, sometimes... We can think in, in Christianity, Jesus is the friendliest person we know. And so we think the greatest call on my life is to be friendly. <laughs> and then we have to receive him just as he is. And you think he is rude. You know, sometimes we look through the gospels and we see stories of blind people crying out on the side of the road. And you know, they had been shamed over and over again by being spit on. People would walk by, spit on them in disgust because the culture of that day believed if you have an ailment, it's because you did something wrong. You sinned, this is on you. And people would walk by and spit on them day after day. And Jesus walks up to a blind man and the first thing he does is spit in his hand. And he hears the very sound of disgrace, stepping up to a Jesus who had a reputation. This man can perform miracles. This man opens the eyes of the blind. This man is full of mercy and compassion that the world has never known. And the first thing he does in front of a blind man who cannot see is spit in his hand. And he creates 
an environment of healing out of the very thing that had wounded him again and again and again. And you know, in your greatest moment of need, in the area where you need him most, the best thing we can do is take our hands off of what we think he should look like. Because he is so much better than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. He is our greatest dream come true. But it requires a yielded, trusted surrender to receive him as he is. Because it sounds offensive at first. But we realize he doesn't have his heart on just your immediate request. He has his heart on 10 years from now, 20 years from now, into eternity. He has been dreaming up your breakthrough for that long. And so wherever you're at in your process this morning of keeping your eyes steady on him, one of the first things we have to do is let go of the way we think he should be and not allow offense to start brewing in our heart because we held on onto an image of Jesus that we created ourselves. We were created in his image, not him in ours. And we do best when we take the posture of being the created one. You know, the Lord told me one time, you know, you are not my defender. I am yours. And you do best if you don't switch our roles around. (laughs) Don't sing that song, you know, defender. Like it's our job to defend the living God and why he does what he does. So he's, you know, Jesus is asleep on on the cushion when the boat is literally filling up with water. And, you know, sometimes when I get super busy and I start to feel exhausted, anybody ever been there? I, I like to climb into the cabin of the ship and I like to just imagine in my imagination, Jesus just laying on the cushion resting. And I just like to study his face and just imagine the peace, the prince of peace napping on a cushion. And I I just look at the picture of rest, the standard of rest. And, you know, we don't become more like Jesus by being less human. He was fully man and fully God. And when we see him sleeping on a cushion, we are seeing the living God clothed in humanity. And our need for rest, our need to live a lifestyle of rest is not our flesh. It is our our God-given design to look like Jesus. And when we're constantly trying to live a life that doesn't include honoring our humanity, we're not honoring the person of Jesus. He came to show us the way of a man clothed in the presence of the living God, that he made it possible for us to live like he lived. He made it possible for us to step into alignment with what a born again believer housing the presence of Jesus is to look like. And you know, not not all naps are true rest. Has anybody ever taken a nap because you're depressed? You're like, there's just nowhere to go from here. I just need to check out for a minute, you know? <laughs> I just don't think Jesus was taking a nap because he was depressed, you know? And then he napped because he was so overwhelmed <laughs> by his job. No, no. He was the savior of the world and he had time to take a nap. You know, I'm just constantly impressed when I look over the Gospels at how slow Jesus did everything. I'm like, you're, you're like on a, you had three years of public ministry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be penciling in a nap if I was Jesus. I'm like, you got a lot to do in three years. What were you doing those 30? I mean, it keeps me up at night. Like, what, what were you doing? I'm like, for 30 years, you were the savior of the whole world. And you allotted three to accomplish your mission. Unless we include the first 30 as part of his mission. 
And he had time to stop for children. He had time to stop for the throwaways of society. He had time to take a nap. And, you know, the disciples come barging in to the, to the stern and, and he's asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are per- perishing? And, you know, this is, this is the lowest place in the storm. And we've all been there. Do you not care? You know, and it's part of our walk of faith in developing a trust in the goodness of God. And, you know, there's no guilt or shame in wrestling with, do you not care? Because the people that lived closest to him had the same question. But, you know, the, the beauty of Jesus is he doesn't even answer the question, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think the friendly thing to do would be like, come here, come here. Let me give you a hug. Let me look you in the eyes and remind you I'm the savior of the world. I came to redeem humanity. I came to give my life as a ransom. I, I put on human flesh and counted myself as a servant to redeem you. I care. I care. Hug, hug. There's no hugs. There, there's no giving a theological dissertation about how much he cares. He just woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And, you know, as I've just been meditating on the story, what, what continues to strike me is Jesus was in their boat and they somehow lost their gaze on who he really was. Who, who then is this was their question after seeing Jesus speak to a storm and it instantly responded. And they, they somehow lost the reality that he was there before the foundation of the world speaking water into existence. <laughs> that before we, we were even a thought in our mother's womb, way before that, that the stars actually existed because he spoke them into being. That he was God. And they were overwhelmed with awe and wonder because the sea obeyed him. But he was actually the one that fashioned the sea. And you know, as, as I just navigate life, I can hear when I start to get off track of who is in this vessel because you are a vessel. You are the ship carrying the manifested presence of Jesus. You are a vessel of glory. You are housing the nature of Jesus. And when we start to get overwhelmed by the sea, we start to get overwhelmed because water is piling into our vessel. You know, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? Who is in your boat? I don't think he, he was giving them feedback about their faith to stop the storm themselves. I think he was giving them feedback, where is your faith in me? That the, the, they, he was, Jesus was always bringing them back to, who do you say I am? Who do you believe I am? Who am I to you? And that the greatest, the greatest use of our faith isn't first to see signs, wonders, and miracles, to stop storms that we know are not coming from the heart of the Father. That at the foundation of our faith is who is he? Who is the Jesus that is in your boat? Where is your faith? Is it anchored in, I have become so familiar that I'm your friend? And you know that this is our friend who falls asleep in storms and it's weird. You know, <laughs> that had they become so familiar with his humanity that they forgot, oh man, he's the one that created this sea. Of course, of course the sea is going to respond to him. And who is in your ship? 
Right now, what what you're navigating in the lowest places of your soul, when you find yourself questioning, does he care? Does he care? You got to climb down. You know, wherever your low place is, he's lower. And you got to go to the bottom of the stern to find that there's a Jesus at rest in your vessel. And it is worth the process to take it a little deeper Take it a little deeper to find your place of rest. Not, you know, the spirit of rest is the person of Jesus. You know, he, he would say, are you weary? Are you exhausted? Come to me. I will be your oasis in the desert. Come to me. I will be your resting place. And, you know, I... I've napped because I was depressed. I've napped because I am overwhelmingly exhausted. And then I've experienced for years now, a child falling asleep on my chest because they're truly at rest. Because I've watched as who I am has become the safest place in their little life. And they can't help but just fall asleep there on my chest, knowing all is well when I'm near you. And the true spirit of rest is finding that place in the very bottom of the the stern of this vessel where I am safest when I'm beside you. That whatever's going on out there in the sea, whatever's happening in my circumstance, that my safe place is beside Jesus. And if he's in the ship, we're all gonna be fine. You know, the the disciples were writing a storyline that couldn't be farther from the truth. Do you not care that we're all about to die? We're all about to die. They had taken their circumstance and ran with a spirit of fear. We're all about to die. Could you imagine if this is how the gospel ended? And then Jesus and his disciples died in a ship. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Like The good news for the rest of eternity is he's dead and the sea destroyed him. Like, no, that that was never a point of concern in heaven. That was never a point of concern in the person of Jesus. And they started writing a story that faith was not a part of the equation. And, you know, part of living a life of rest is recognizing who's writing the story in my mind right now. Who, who is writing the story in the deep of my soul? Because if, it is, if the rudder of that ship is fear, it ends badly every time. <laughs> like, how many ways can we dream up a terrible ending to the same story? <laughs> has anybody ever been there? <laughs> and that is not a spirit of faith writing your story. A spirit of faith is if I'm with him, I can't die. <laughs> because he, he couldn't even stay in the grave, that we are eternal beings. And no matter what happens in the course of your time out there on the water, at the end, at the end, 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 you win. You win. Jesus wins. That he is the victorious one. And our, our place of rest as we're navigating life out there on the crazy, unpredictable sea is that Jesus is with us in this ship. That at the heart of our rest is knowing I'm with him. I'm with him. And you know, the fight of our life when the sea starts to get distracting and scary is remembering who's in the ship, who is here with me. Because I want my gaze to be overwhelmed with the reality that Jesus is here. And you know, Graham Cook has this quote that I love and he says, every circumstance in your life right now that you're navigating is not first about the circumstance. It's about you Asking Jesus, who do you want to be for me right now that you've never had an opportunity in all of my life, in all of my story to be for me, except in this season? And so whatever you're navigating, you're learning about a Jesus who's at rest in the middle of it. You're learning about a Jesus who isn't enough for you in the middle of it. And so, you know, I just felt, I've just been feeling the charge to make sure 
I'm constantly just realigning my gaze onto the one who, who is in this ship with me. And, you know, I have a huge value for boundaries because I have a huge value to give this one yes in my life. And, you know, the whole point of boundaries is to be able to protect the one thing we're living for. The one thing. One, this overwhelming yes requires millions of no's throughout our lifetime. But, you know, the point of living with a master is not navigating 10 million no's over and over and over. You know, that's a spirit of religion when we're more aware of our no's than our yeses. But the spirit of freedom is I am overwhelmed by this one yes. And I will pay any price. I will, I will lay down my life in any way necessary to protect this one yes. And it is impossible to live the Christian life without boundaries. It's impossible to have a yes to Jesus without millions of no's everywhere else. <laughs> and, and it's impossible to receive him as he is without a bunch of yeses and a bunch of no's. And you know, the, I find when I am living disjointed from a place of true rest, I have to go back to where is my yes? Where is my no? I have to realign to, to the manifested presence of Jesus being the rudder in this, in this ship. And you know, I love that. I love that quote that says, Skillful, skillful sailors were never created on still seas. <laughs> so if you're feeling like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. There's lots of water. There's waves. There's, there is the heart of a skillful sailor being developed in you right now. And at the heart of all you're navigating, at the heart of all you're learning is how can I remember who's in the ship? How can I keep my gaze steady on who, who is at the heart of this vessel with undivided devotion, undistracted purpose that we're going to be like dragonflies. Our whole head is filled with an eyeball. <laughs> and you know, in, in those low places of our storms, the overwhelming benefit is I'm on the brink of discovering a Jesus who's at rest in me. And, you know, I want to I wanna look at a place of uh, a high place in 2 Samuel 6. Uh, when, when the ark was brought back to Jerusalem by David. I love this story and I've just been refreshing myself in it the, the last week or so. And you remember, David gathered 30,000 men to bring the ark back into Jerusalem. 30,000 men. Like, that's a wild, that, that's like a nation. And they, they decided to get a new cart for the ark. And they had two guys driving the cart and one of the names meant friendly, and one of the names meant strength. And they were driving this cart. You remember the story? And one of the cart, an oxen stumbles, and the cart, the ark on top of the cart starts to fall. And one of the guys reaches out to grab the ark, and he instantly dies. You remember that? <laughs> and David's like overwhelmed. Like, I, I don't know if we're gonna be able to do this. And so he, he drops the ark, the presence of God, off at Obed-Eden's house. You remember that? And it was there for three months and he starts getting overwhelmingly blessed that the presence of God in his home is just pouring out ridiculous blessing. And David's watching for three months and can't take it any longer. And he's like, we're gonna try this again. <laughs> and... <laughs> And instead of putting the presents on a new cart with friendly and strength driving the bus, they go back and, and, and they remember how the presence is supposed to be handled. And, and they rest the presence on the shoulders of priests. 
And, and every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, stop. This is a long journey. Every six steps, they stop and they sacrifice a bowl. And they, and they release praise and worship. And then they would go again, one, two, three, four, five, six. And the presence is resting on people that God created. And it's a prophetic picture that his presence would not rest on something man built that a new cart wasn't good enough, that it wouldn't even rest on attributes that feel most prized in society, that you're full of strength and the friendly are really carrying the presence of God. No, that it would rest on priests who were consecrated before the living God and that the entire celebration would be fixed around a sacrifice to their God that the entire celebration would be rooted and grounded in God is here. God is here. And man isn't going to touch it or pervert it or twist it, but that we would be the people created to respond to his presence, created to be the sacrifice in the midst of his presence. And, you know, they made it all the way back to Jerusalem. And it says David was dancing with all his might, that everyone was beyond excited when you read the passage, that they were dancing and singing. They had instruments. And it, it says in verse 13, 613, and when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. This is a day that is a massive high point. Like this is like the highest of high. It is a spirit of revival that the presence is the main event and thousands of people are filling the streets, celebrating, exulting, keeping the main thing, the main thing. And David's in a linen ephod. So that means he took off his crown. He took off his robe and he looked just like the priests look. He, he was wearing what the priests were wearing and he was making a statement in the presence of God, we are all equal. <laughs> that in the presence of God, when God is here, there is not one that's above the other. That when God is in the room, my crown means nothing. <laughs> that when God's in the room, I don't need a robe. I don't need a title because I've found the real reason I'm alive. And I can look to the right and I can look to the left and we're all celebrating the same God we come from. And you know, we are fashioned and designed to be the living sacrifices. And that it is still the call of carrying the manifested presence on our shoulder, aware every six steps, I'm alive to be a sacrifice. Every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six. I can't get too far away from remembering I'm a vessel of the living God who is in my ship, who is here in my midst because he's worth all of my attention. He's worth my undivided devotion. He's worth a life that isn't distracted. He's worth ripping off my title. He's worth ripping away the trophy I won when I defeated Goliath and everybody was cheering my name. He's worth sacrificing every animal, the first fruits of all of my life, all my strengths, all my qualities that I can't get farther than six steps without pausing and remembering God is with me. God is in our midst. God is in my ship. And, you know, he, he stripped himself down to what Jesus came to restore, that we could once again live naked and unashamed, that you wouldn't need to dress yourself up with good qualities, that you wouldn't need to dress yourself up with robes and crowns and titles, 
but that in the presence of your God, you could take it all off and being a priest would be enough. Just an ephod. That being one who is naked and unashamed, that you from the top of my head to the tip of my toes, I've got nothing to hide. He has seen it all. And, and I am the recipient of mercy. I'm the recipient of grace. And I'm unashamed to know all of my weakness and all of my strength is covered in this one thing. That Jesus gave all that we could experience uninterrupted connection to his presence. Uninterrupted connection to the fullness of who he is on the inside of us. And, you know, as the ark, if, if you look at verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And if you jump down to verse 20, it says, And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible, more undignified than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. And you know, the... <laughs> the you know, his wife was looking out the window. And you know, the story just never ends well when you are looking out the window onto the lives of others. And you know, you, you are not destined. The best of you does not come out when you are looking from the outside in. And Jesus made a way that none of us would ever have to be on the outside looking in at people enjoying the presence of God. And when you find yourself more aware of what other people are doing in the presence, it's just a real good moment to stop and realize, ah, I'm looking from the outside in. And he's called me to come to the table. He's called me to leave the comfort of my house to leave the comfort of my title, to leave the windows I hide behind, to strip them all off like David and get into the street, get into the presence where there were 30,000 people celebrating God is here. God is here. And you know, the greatest thing the enemy would wanna do with your life is hide you behind a window and start despising the very thing you were created to do and to be and start despising seeing that people are living in the fullness of what they've been called to. And our destiny as born again believers will never be to be on watch for how other people are manifesting the presence. It will just never bring out the best of us. You're not their defender. You're not his defender. At the end of your life, you will be held accountable for what you did with your own. And when we, when, we ha when we find ourselves with a bent to judge a motive, you know, my husband is so good about constantly correcting any time I feel even a bent of assuming what someone's motive is. He's like, oh, nope, you either have to ask or you gotta think the best. Like those are only two options. When you're behind a window and you, you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> if you're not gonna ask, you gotta think the best. Oh, they're pouring out their life for the living God. That's what they're doing. They're celebrating that Jesus is in the room. That's what they're doing. They're living with undivided devotion. They're living with undivided distraction. And even if they get it wrong, they're gonna try again. Even if they got it wrong the first time, they're the type of people that aren't gonna give up. They're the type of 
people that are going to hear about Obed Edom's house and they're going to say it's worth another try. Let's try this one more time. And if you found yourself wounded in revival culture, if you found yourself wounded in the church because people have got it wrong trying to house the presence of God, you got to give it one more time. You got to give it one more try. You got to step into the game one more time. You got to leave your window and get down into the street and say, I'm signing up again. I've heard about Ob and I can't let it alone. I've heard the stories of blessing. I've heard the stories that he showed up and was real. I've watched people live with a God who is worth ripping off everything and being all in. And I'm going to leave my perch. It's time to stop watching on the sidelines and get into the presence. And you know the... And, you know, I, I, I've just been letting this phrase settle in my heart. It was for the Lord. <laughs> and I will be even more undignified than this. And, you know, David defended this one thing. My motive was for the Lord. I wasn't trying to impress people. I wasn't doing this for people. I wasn't making myself a spectacle. I was doing it for the Lord. And whether we get it right or we get it wrong, heaven is looking at the heart. And that's why David got picked in the first place. Because he, God told Samuel, Man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at what's happening on the outside. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is he qualified? Is she good enough? God doesn't think like that. God looks straight at the heart. And, and whether you get it right or you get it wrong, the outside will never be the determining factor. It's what is driving your soul. What is the rudder of your ship? And when you have set your heart on, I'm alive for the presence. I'm alive to live aware. Who's in the street? Who's in the street that we're celebrating? That's what God is looking at. And you know, true freedom from the fear of man is not, I felt afraid, but I did it anyway. That, that helps get us there. But this, the, Jesus never in his thought life considered man's opinion and then chose the direction of his life. And there is a level of freedom inside the nature of Jesus that no longer funnels through what will people think about this, good or bad? What, what will they think? That there is a level of freedom. Oh, I just did it for God. <laughs> I, I didn't even consider A, B, or C. I just showed up and did it for Jesus. <laughs> and you know, the, we become fearless in our personal expression of a life of worship. If you're a writer, you become fearless in what you write when you're no longer funneling people's thoughts through your mind. If you're an artist, what you produce will, will, will literally be night and day different if you're no longer funneling through your mind what will people think. If you're a businessman and you have creative entrepreneurial ideas, what you produce in this lifetime, the solutions you bring to a hurting world will open up like never before when we're no longer funneling, what will people think? How will this be received? But that we show up, we rip off our crown, we rip off our titles and we show up to do it for the Lord that there is a level of freedom that is unimaginable, that is beyond whatever we could even ask, think, or imagine. And so in the high places of our life, when the manifest presence is inescapable, the subject does not change. I did it for the Lord. My gaze was steady on the presence of Jesus. I didn't get distracted by what others were doing or not doing. I showed up to do what I'm going to do. <laughs> I showed up to be who I'm going to be. I showed up to make sure at the end of the day I could say, I left it all on that street. <laughs> I danced with all my might. I didn't, help, I didn't hold back. 
at the end of the end, we want to look in his eyeballs and say, I did it for you. I did it for you. And if you're ending a season, if you feel yourself ending a chapter, you got to just look back and, and make a decree. I will get even more undignified than that. <laughs> I, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going from glory to glory in how undignified I will be. And you know, if, if you've had bickering in your ear, if you've had a spirit of shame in your ear saying you should be embarrassed of what you did, you should be embarrassed of, of what you just, how undignified you just got. Do you remember what happened when you took that risk in the Lord and you fell flat on your face? Do you remember what happened when that guy reached out his hand and then he died on your watch? Do you remember what happened when you tried to do that thing you felt you were called to do? And you know, the conversations shame wants to have from you when you leave the street in your ephod <laughs> and, and you go back home and that's when shame wants to have a conversation and the right response every time to a spirit of shame is I'm gonna get more undignified than that I'm gonna get more undignified I'm gonna rip it off all again you haven't seen anything yet and you better you shame shame starts to get nervous of my life. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And you know, this is your destiny. This is your word in this season of your life. And you have absolute permission in this family. <laughs> I know the people at the top really well. And I, I say it on absolute daughtership authority that the more undignified you live, the happier we are. And we're creating a family around his presence that doesn't give Michael's permission to hide behind windows. That we're, we're creating an atmosphere where everyone is welcomed around the presence. Where no one has to feel less than or despising what others have because you feel you're not enough. And it is exposure at the very heart of the gospel that you have permission to show up as you that you, you are a vessel of glory. And when your vessel isn't rolling around on the ground like the vessel next to you, it takes courage to live undignified in that moment. It takes courage to say, I'm gonna be who I am in the street. I'm gonna be who I am. I'm just gonna make sure I'm showing up undignified. I'm just gonna make sure I didn't show up with some crown I thought to find me. I'm just gonna make sure I'm living an undignified life before my God. And you get permission to show up the way you have been fashioned to show up. And, and don't steal don't, don't rob a generation from the beauty of the way you have been fashioned. We, we need every expression of priests carrying the manifested presence of God on their shoulder. There is not one that's better than another. We need them all. And you know you're free when you're no longer despising the way somebody else is manifesting his nature. And you're no longer despising yourself and the way that you manifest his nature, but that you're celebrating, that you're dancing with all your might because you found a God who is worth it. So 
you know, I've had a song that I just can't escape for the last week. I just want to sing it one time real quick. Where's Vanessa? <laughs> hey, V. You could just sing a cappella, V. Who appreciates the way Vanessa carries the manifested presence of God? And, and she has a pacifier in her hand, which just makes my heart soar even more. Can you lead us in? Um, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. You want a mic? Yeah. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. Come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Come be the fire inside of me. Until you and I are one, come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame upon my heart. Come be the fire inside of me. Until. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.